Thank you for joining us for part two of this podcast on Section 8 housing. If you haven't already, please go back and listen to part one for even more information on how to rent perfect. Okay, we're back. Jake, we have covered a lot of stuff here, and usually our podcasts don't go this long, but this is such good information that if you're really considering Section 8, I, I think you're staying with us right now because it's, it's important to I do. I don't know where you would find this. Yeah. Like if you said, hey, should I rent to Section 8? There's probably some pros and cons websites that people just use for stock content on their websites, right. but is there anybody out there talking about it? Yeah, no, I don't think so. I think people are almost afraid to talk about it. It's, just, it's a topic that makes me, you know, some people just uncomfortable and other people are like, well, no, once you jump in and you do it correct and you manage correctly, this is actually a great program. No, so. I, I agree. For for I, it doesn't scare me at all when people say, oh, my gosh, do you have to manage Section 8 properties? They said, yeah, we have zero problem managing Section 8 properties. There's yeah. there's a lot of good things about it. The money yeah. comes in every month. Right. You don't have to chase the tenant for rent. Right. Um, you kind of have built-in inspections. The, a representative of the federal government is going to come out and, right. and, and inspect the property pursuant to like a seven-page housing quality inspection document. They're going to go through and check every single box yeah. for free. Try to get your electrician to come out and inspect the electrical system for free. Okay, I'm going to ask you a few more questions, but I think the key just to wrap up that kind of point is you almost have to be set up for it. So if you're used to doing things the way you do it as the way I do it, you know, I always say if there's 30 landlords in a room, there's 30 different ways to manage. Yep. You, the, the people that that don't have problems with Section 8 are just set up for Section 8. Yeah, right? they've, 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 they've worked the system a little bit. They've jumped in, Yeah, and maybe they have some scars to prove it, yeah. which I'm sure I do. However, when you come out the other side and follow the instructions, it's just like renting to anyone else. Right. You can do it. Okay, two things. Um, we have a kind of a pro bono law firm here in the Phoenix area, and they cause us a lot of grief. I won't even want to say their name they cause us, you know, because they accept these cases that just cost us landlords a lot of money. And I'm sure different groups around the country have different names and you know, just these nonprofit legal organizations, right. you know, uh, community service type of, of law firms. Um, do you find that you're dealing more with them because this type of person, you know, has access? Like Section 8 says, hey, if you need legal, go to, go to these guys. I mean, do you find that you're spending more money when you have a problem? In, yeah, in certain municipalities, depending on how they're structured, we've found that we've spent a lot of legal fees um, on some Section 8 situations that we were in. Um, yeah, the free legal services, um, first of all, when, you know, in, in this business, it's somewhat common for people to say, well, I don't, I don't like your rules. I'm going to call my lawyer. And my answer always to that is you absolutely should call your lawyer. We have zero problem with people consulting their lawyers because we do things correctly. We right. have a nine page lease that's blessed by our right. Arizona landlord tenant attorneys. Right. We're a hundred percent comfortable with the content and we're a hundred percent comfortable with our administration of it. Yep. And so we would never tell somebody, Oh, you better not get your lawyer. We're fine with it. Um, however, what, you know, I, I think you and I have similar experiences. There are law firms out there that serve maybe people who are typically underserved communities, which is great. I have no problem with people having access to legal services. The concern I have is in many cases, the counsel they get number one is incorrect counsel because it's uh, maybe it's an attorney that practices wills and estates or does real estate transactions or does criminal law that's jumping into 
right. landlord tenant law because he needs he or she needs some pro bono hours or wants to do some good. That's great. I have no problem with people serving, but make sure you know what you're talking about. Right. Because what ends up happening is you maybe will blow through, you know, at least on our end, you know, we could spend five hundred or a thousand dollars in legal fees dealing with an issue that wasn't even an issue because we're dealing with an inexperienced attorney on the other side. And is that attorney really providing that person good advice if they have no experience in landlord tenant law? And our experience has been we had a couple situations where there were some Section 8 tenants that were struggling to follow the rules. Um, one of them uh, had a pretty serious drug problem that was causing other issues. And the other person was struggling with some mental illness where she was convinced that the neighbor's 12-year-old boy was climbing through the attic into her house and eating her okay. popsicles. Okay. <laughs> I, I promise I did not make that up. Okay. But incident to that, it we is sad. I'm trying not to laugh about it. It is sad that that's reality, but Absolutely. it is reality, yep. and it's something that we have to deal with as, as landlords. It's a funny story, but it's true. Yep. And so my advice would be: make sure you have an attorney you know and trust. Um, I know as Americans we get really nervous when we get attorneys involved. Oh my gosh, it's so expensive. It's seven hundred dollars an hour. It's not. Find your local landlord tenant attorney, whoever it is in your town. We have several great ones here in town, um, and it's just not that much money. I mean, like in Arizona, it's about 500 bucks to go through an eviction. It's not fun, but it's about 500 bucks. Yeah. Um, I'm sure in other states, it's more money and more time. But in your state, in your area, there's a landlord-tenant attorney who specializes in that, and it's not going to be 10,000 bucks. Right. It just, it just isn't that much money. And so, But even with your regular tenants, if you're not a tenant that has a voucher, or if, you, if you're not renting to a tenant that has a voucher, you should have effective legal right. counsel on your side. But yeah, in, in Arizona, there are some free legal services that people take advantage of. And unfortunately, those free legal services are only out there maybe to, to treat the landlord badly, to try to maybe ax to grind against the landlord, not necessarily representing the tenant the best way they could, right. which is, hey, let's find you another roof over your head. Let's advocate for you not go try to stick it to the landlord for trying to right. enforce basic rules. Now, does Section 8 get involved with legal at all in any way at all? Not in my experience. All they do is say, hey, you're having trouble with your landlord. Maybe you should call ABC Pro Bono Legal Services okay. and see how it works. But they'll keep paying the rent throughout the issue. The deal with Section 8 is they will pay the rent for every day the person's in the house. Okay, so there's no, like, I'm not paying rent because you did this. I'm withholding my rent. They probably, under the law, they could do that. I have never had Section 8 stop paying for somebody. In my experience, Section 8 actually kind of tends to pay a couple months after they move out just because maybe administrative paperwork things. But okay. we've never had Section 8 say, hey, um, we're going to stop paying because we don't like the way you're managing. It just hasn't happened. Okay, perfect. Um, and then going through, um, you know, we talked about maybe some, uh, you know, this community legal work, but going through a typical eviction uh, most likely wouldn't be for non-payment of rent as the government's giving you most of your rent Correct. in most cases. Um, fairly easy to do, same as non-Section 8, having, removing somebody from the property. Yeah, in Arizona, the obviously landlord-tenant laws are different everywhere. Arizona right. has pretty... Our laws are very landlord-friendly. Is that fair? Mm -hmm. In Arizona, it's very easy to evict someone. And I'm not saying we relish that or we want to do it, but it just happens to be the world, <coughs> excuse me, the world that we live in. It's, it's easy a landlord-friendly state. It's, it's a landlord-friendly state. The only difference we see is that any document we provide to the tenant, we're also required to provide a copy of that document to Section 8. And if you're serving your documents, probably maybe you're sending to a process server, or maybe you <coughs> you're going to drive them out there yourself. 
hand it to the tenant, no big deal, take a copy of it to the housing office. Same document. My experience is you will never hear from the housing office. They okay. just don't get involved. All right, one more question. This is maybe maybe for those people out there right now that are kind of going through their portfolio in their head, like thinking at each unit they own, whether it's duplexes or single-family homes or any multifamily at all. Is there a sweet spot? So, for example, I do some VRBO, short-term Airbnb type of rentals. Yep. And there are programs out there that track actually a two-bedroom in some areas are better short-term rentals than a four-bedroom in some areas. And so... Is there, in your experience, is there a sweet spot to square footage, type part of town, duplex, triplex, single family home, anything that you consider as you have take one of your regular rentals over into Section 8? Is there a sweet spot there? My experience has been that the two bedroom is where the money is, okay. meaning they always, always rent. They always rent the very fastest, and the calls that we get from prospective tenants with vouchers are almost always two bedroom. Okay. And you also have to remember, have to know that the way, at least, at least in our area, the way the vouchers work is you as a tenant are given a voucher based on your family size and makeup. Okay. So let's say you're a mom and a dad and a baby. Well, you have three bodies. And so section eight might determine, okay, you need a one bedroom. We give you a one bedroom voucher or it's a mom and a dad and two babies and the babies are a boy and a girl because okay. section eight has some sort of algorithm or some sort of methodology they use with the gender of the kids. They don't want kids of different gender sharing rooms, I think. Okay. And so, uh, or it might be a single mom with a son and they don't want them sharing rooms. And so they will have a two bedroom voucher. So when they call you, they say, Hey, do you take housing vouchers? Yes, we do. Do you have any houses available? Well, what kind of voucher do you have? Well, I've got a three-bedroom voucher. Okay. Uh, so that's, really that's determined already. Yeah. Okay. When they call you, they have a voucher. My experience has been, now, if you have a three-bedroom voucher, Section 8 will let you rent a two-bedroom. Okay. So if you, David, and your little wife and your two little babies, you say, hey, we have a three-bedroom voucher. Man, I cannot find a three-bedroom. We'll use Section 8. Pretty please let me have a two-bedroom. My experience is they'll let you go down in bedrooms. Okay. They will not let you go up. So if you have a two-bedroom voucher, they're not going to let you rent a four-bedroom house. Okay. It's going to be way more money for one thing. But my experience is if you're in the two-bedroom, one-bath game, which in our market, lots of, um, lots of duplex, triplex, fourplex stuff is two-bedroom, one-bath units. Those are ripe for Section 8. Okay. That's your question. Interesting. The property I'm thinking about is a two-bedroom, one-bath. Fit would fit right in. Yeah, they're that. excellent for that. We have uh, my wife and I personally own a property that has one, two, three. Three, we've got two two-bedroom, one-bath vouchers in there now and two three-bedroom, two-bath vouchers at that property. Awesome. Everything's working out good for you. USDA. Okay. Super smooth. They get administered out of St. Louis. I got a lady named Rachel that I send emails to, and she just takes care of it. It's been, we've had them for coming up on four years now. Okay. They've been rock solid. Okay. So, Jake, a little bit of, of Rebel is going to come out of me here. Okay. Um, a big problem that I have with, with Section 8, USDA, VA, any any kind of partnership with the federal government just really weighs on me because I just don't want the federal government as my partner. So the CARES Act comes out, the CDC comes out. You know, I love the CARES Act first came out, and they're like, if you have, if your houses are backed by, you know, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, you can no longer do evictions. And 
I felt like so violated there because how do I know who buys my loan at the very end? I closed it, ABC Mortgage Company, yep. you know. I had no no say on who backs up my mortgage, and yet the government, you know, weasels its way in and says they're a partner of mine because they're holding the paper somewhere. Yep. But Section 8 was included in that, and all these were included in that. So when you let the government's nose underneath the tent in Section 8, they are a partner of yours. Yep. Correct? Absolutely. So part of me makes me super nervous about that. But in the whole um, pandemic, how was it working with Section 8? It was seamless. Okay. Meaning the money came in every month. Um, Remember, when you're you're getting the money from the federal government, they're making the payment every month. So the money's coming in every month. If the tenant broke the rules, um, let's say someone got a dog and they refused to get rid of their dog, and it wasn't a service animal, it wasn't an emotional support animal. This is a true unauthorized pet. This right. is an outlaw dog. Right, right. Um, the laws didn't cover families being evicted or not. for violation yeah. of lease. You only right. could not evict them for non-payment. And Arizona actually had some specific laws that kept you from playing games with that. Gotcha. But our experience was, was, certainly with Section 8, we had no trouble with it. Now, to your point, our attorney, who we know and trust, he tells us straight up, Jake, when you do Section 8, you're making a deal with the devil. Mm-hmm. And I think in his scenario, the devil is the federal government. Right. Maybe I'm reading into that too no, much. No, no, I, I would agree. <laughs> I would agree. But, and, and I agree with that 100%. Um, however, I look at it a couple of different ways. Um, as you know, I'm a recovering accountant. Right. In accounting school, they teach us any business you run, you are partners with the federal government. From a regulatory perspective, from a tax perspective, right. everything you do... Absolutely. You're giving the government a little taste. So are they your partner already? Absolutely. I always say that they're a partner on your upside, but yeah, they're I, certainly not your partner on the downside. Well, I have, a good, <laughs> I, I have a good friend who got hit pretty hard when the market crashed. Uh-huh. He filed a t- tax return that was able to recover his losses from the past two years. The government sent him a check for 400 grand, put him back in business because of loss carrybacks. Huh. So ask him and he's going to say oh yeah me and uncle sam yeah we're tight just like that but we're super tight that being said uh, we partner with the government in a lot of things every day the way i see section 8 is getting some of your tax dollars back okay now are there families out there i had a uh, frank conversation with uh, the usda when they were granting my vouchers they didn't like the condition of the properties ironically i bought the properties from the usda <laughs> Bought them at foreclosure from the USDA. The USDA came out, did an inspection, and said, we don't like these. I said, well, give me another week. They'll be ready. And they are. They're nice. They have new roofs, new ACs. We fixed them correctly. They're nice. Right. Um, but I said to the USDA, listen, there was a time and a place when you and I decided that we were going to look out for these families. The USDA is paying 100% of the rent, which means the government has decided that the USDA needs to look out for these families to pay their rent. I'm willing to provide a roof over their head for that amount of money. So let's partner together and look out for these families. Go back to your office. Give us another couple more weeks to fix the springs and the windows. That's what it was. It was springs and windows. And they said, you know what? You're probably right. Let's get it done. And we did. And that was four years ago. Same families still live in those properties on USDA vouchers. Awesome. So on some level, yes, it's a deal with the devil. But if you don't want to deal with the devil, boy, don't drive your car down the road. Yeah. Don't put a gallon of gas. Because think about that gallon yeah. of gas. That's like 80 cents in taxes. Well, I, th- I think you make a great point there because I've taken many, many phone calls of people who've just gotten out of this business because they couldn't evict people over on the, I'm going to say the private side, the non-Section 8 side. Yep. And so actually non-Section 8 people got hurt a lot more in this whole 
you know, pandemic than the Section Eight and Section landlords. Eight got bl- and Section Eight gets blamed for it. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> but it comes back to really, you said something just really powerful, I think, and and that is, you can't really knock Section Eight if you don't know about it. So this whole podcast says, hey, you know, let's educate ourselves. You might still come away with with. I'm not doing Section 8 after this podcast. Absolutely. This podcast isn't made to say, hey, everybody jump on the Section 8 bandwagon. No, I'm not offering the bonus and I'm yeah. not paying it. So. Yeah, yeah. It is just, it is just. hey, listen, if you're in a situation or you have a property that you think kind of works down this road, you're looking at the economy and kind of thinking, hey, it's going south a little bit. Um, you know, should I maybe, maybe part of my portfolio, should I put it into almost like a guaranteed funds type of, Absolutely. of situation? Absolutely. And uh, I will tell you, when the government runs out of money and they're not able to pay Section 8, we're all in trouble on a much greater level anyways. You have bigger problems. We have really big problems at that point. You're going to be worried about your own house, not your rental. So, Jake, I have lightened up my stance a little bit. I'm not saying I'm fully in on Section 8 right now. You want to go another 30 minutes? (laughs) Yeah, let me, uh, <laughs> no, but I, I might, I might pull the trigger and I might one day be doing a podcast that says, guys, I did it. I jumped in. It's not as scary as I always thought it was. Um, so I'm definitely more to that neutral, um, you know, position than I was before. And hopefully people here took this information and, and maybe made the right decision for them. So Jake, I really appreciate it. You got anything else? Yeah, let me, let me throw this out there. So, you know, when you, when you came up with this rental house, that was an investment for you. You could have taken that money and put it in Microsoft stock. Right? Could have, yeah. could have, you bought yours a long time ago. Bitcoin didn't exist, so I'm not going to say you could have put it in Bitcoin. <laughs> um, Thank goodness. You could have bought Intel stock. You could have bought bonds. Apple, Apple bonds. Could have bought right. Apple. You could have done any of those things, but right. you chose to put it into real estate. Now, I think that, this is just my opinion, I think it's ridiculous that somebody that owns real estate, that owns rentals, and hasn't explored Section 8. I'm not saying everybody should do it. We agree it's not for everybody. But for somebody to say, oh, I hate it, it's dumb, everybody has bad experiences, I don't think that's being a good steward of your assets if you don't know that there's a program out there that's providing renters and guaranteed money. Boy, you should know about it. Just like if you had half a million bucks worth of Microsoft stock, boy, you better be watching what Microsoft's doing because you're accountable for that. You're steward, you know, that's your stewardship. So I would suggest maybe like you, maybe a lightning of the stance Ask some people who do it because people who do it like me are going to have a way different feeling about it. Now, I'm not going to trick you into doing it, but I'm going to say, well, yes, there's that, but there's also this. Yes, there's that, but here's a way to do that properly, not to get around it, but to do it properly, to hedge your bets. But I'm still with you. I don't hate it, but I don't love it. Right. But it's out there. But it's out there. It's kind of like learning how to be a doctor by going and ac- asking a dentist, right? <laughs> I mean, if we're going to learn about Section A, don't ask me. I don't do it. Yeah. You know, ask you. And, and if this point has been clarified already, Jake, you're a private company. You have a private management company. You're yep. not linked into any kind of nonprofit. You're not trying to sell Section 8. You don't, you don't even care. This is a benefit to landlords if you have the right properties in the right place. And we really appreciate taking all that knowledge in your head and that experience and kind of, you know, letting us... Um, you know, a little less uh, knowledgeable landlords in this uh, in this case kind of learn a little bit about something that might be a possibility for us. So Love thank it. you so much. Thank you. Uh, thank you for joining us today on this Rent Perfect podcast. A little bit of a long one, but I think it was just full of so much useful information. If you have any questions or you want to get a hold of Jake, just contact Rent Perfect. We'll get you over with him, and you can ask him some personal questions. And until next time, continue to rent perfect.